0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. So this week, we're going to do something different. We're going to do a live question and answer. I wanted to take a moment and kind of like walk through in case people had questions about the Bible, about the Gospels. Uh, we walked through Mark, but we're gonna go through uh, any questions that people have about Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the resurrection, because people have questions about that stuff. And usually on a Sunday morning, it's like a one-way deal, pastors spinning out stuff, and people might have questions like, what about this, what about that? So uh, really quick though, some rules about how this is gonna work today. Uh, so what we're gonna do is, uh, I've, I've looked at some of the most common questions that people ask about the Gospels. Have those up on the screen. Um, if you guys have questions, raise your hand and we'll send um, someone, where's Jax? Jax. He's like, you're interrupting my game. No. <laughs> um, can you turn this one on? I think it's number two or nine or something like that. Or. Uh, channel 22 it says on the bottom so uh, give that to Jax and he's gonna have a seat somewhere out there and when someone raises their hand he's gonna go over to them with the microphone Um, and if someone is watching online and they have a question um, I'll tell you guys hey there's a question that someone submitted that's watching online but the rules about this morning really important first and foremost. Be kind to one another, right? Because someone might ask a question, and I've done this where someone asked a question in a public forum and instead of keeping it in my head, out loud I said, well, that's stupid, right? Uh, It wasn't here, but I've done that and I'm sure some of you guys have done that. So just be kind to people when they ask questions to make sure that, okay, I, I could see why asking this particular question. Here's the other thing. Um, Be kind to the pastor, right? Because I don't know everything. Um, I don't have the Bible memorized. Um, I often will, you know, look up verses because I'm like, isn't there a verse that says, uh, granted, I'm paid to study the Bible, but I don't have it memorized. And here's the thing. Be really kind if my answer to a question is, I don't know. Because there are some things that, I just don't know, right? So I'm going to be honest. And in case anything else happens that's not covered by rule one or rule two, just see rule one and be kind, okay? That makes sense? And then we'll do as much as we can to get as many questions answered as possible. But here's the first one. This is the most common question in the Gospels, and it has to do with perceived contradictions. Has anyone ever heard someone say, hey, there's stuff in the Bible that contradicts other stuff in the Bible? Anyone ever heard that? Yeah, people shaking their heads, some raising their hands. Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the most common one. How do Christians explain all the blatant contradictions in the gospel, right? Whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, there are people who say that, hey, it says this in one gospel, but if you go to the other gospel, it says something totally different. And I want to give you a perfect example because we just walked through this verse not too long ago. So there's a verse in the book of Mark that says this As they, talking about the women, entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus and Nazarene. He was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. And I talked about how uh, based on, you know, their cultural things they did with the napkins, that's why he was seated on the right side. However, if you go to the book of John, in John chapter 20, it says, Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. She bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now, for most people, they will look and say, well, doesn't what Mark said about there being one angel, isn't that contradicting what John said? Because John said there are two. Now, he's, this is not me trying to play funny with the scriptures, this is just the reality. They're not contradictions, because first and foremost, a contradiction is something that's inconsistent or a discrepancy or something that's in direct opposition, thank you very much, of what one thing says, right? So here's the thing. If Mark said they looked in the tomb and there was only one angel, and then John said that there were two angels, total contradiction, because both can't be true. Can't be only one angel and two angels at the same time. right? But here's the thing: it's not a contradiction uh, if they're just sharing different perspectives of the same event. So let me give you an example. Bear with me. Um, oh, good, Larry and Sharon are not here, so we're going to talk about them. Okay. So last week was Resurrection Sunday, and we had communion, right? And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Kevin, you were over here, right? And Gary, you were over here, right? So. Larry and Sharon normally sit on this side. So they came out, came over here. I don't know who they went to, but let's say they went to Kevin because he was right here and they partook of communion. So let's say on Monday, they go home and they're talking to a neighbor of theirs who says, hey, I heard you guys went to church for Easter Sunday. Did they serve communion? And Larry says, yes. They served communion. There's a guy named Kevin there and he's the one that served me communion and it was a great event. And that's, that's, that's true. That's great. That's, that's wonderful, right? That's what happened. But let's say the same guy later that afternoon is talking to Sharon and says, hey, Sharon, Larry says they served communion at your congregation on Easter Sunday. How was it? And Sharon says it was great. Both Gary... And Kevin served communion, and she says that there were two people serving. Is that still true? Absolutely true. Because all, all that Larry is sharing is, hey, here's what happened. Because we're guys. We don't give a lot of detail. Here's what happened. I got out of my chair. I walked down. Somebody named Kevin served me communion. Still true. And I'm not trying to say anything about women, but Sharon happens to want to share a little bit more detail. So she's like, I got out of my chair. I took communion from Kevin. It was also a guy named Gary serving communion. It wasn't regular bread. It was sliced bread because Pastor Floyd couldn't break the bread. And he even wore a blazer that didn't match his shirt. But we let it go because he's a pastor. And she's given all this detail about what happened because that's what she wants to do. Now, is anything that she said... Not true. All 100% true. Is anything that Larry said not true? All 100% true. Nothing that they said is inconsistent or contradicts the other person. If either of them had said there were only this happening, then yeah, you have a contradiction. So before I move on, are there any questions from anyone in the room? And Larry and Sharon are watching, so yeah. Any questions before we move on? Okay. Uh, let me move on to this next one. And this is also another contradiction that comes up. And you guys have probably had this. Why are there only four Gospels in the Bible when so many others have been found? Anyone ever heard that there's more than four Gospels? Yeah, a bunch of people heard it. Uh, and here, here's the thing. This is a common question. I get this online a lot. So I'm going to show you a picture that also has some other questions about the Bible. Um, And forgive me, that is my big shiny forehead in the picture. But this is what this person asked. They said, hey, because I had posted a video talking about the Gospels and the Resurrection, and and they said, hey, well, first, man misinterpreted the Bible several times over. For one. Has anyone ever heard that, that we have misinterpreted the Bible? Here's the thing. We have not mistranslated the Bible. Every single day, people misinterpret the Bible. People will read something in the Bible, run it through the filter of their personal uh, upbringing, perceptions, worldview, political view, cultural view, and then come out with, oh, doesn't the Bible say this? And they don't just do that with the Bible. We're human. We do that. If, if like, Bill tells me something and I go to tell Christie, it's usually never going to be word for word. It's filtered through my personal preferences, things, life experiences, cultural, blah, blah, blah here's what Bill just said. We're human, we do that. So the Bible has not been mistranslated. It's misinterpreted every day because that's what humans do. Uh, The King James Version is very different from the original Hebrew and Greek, uh, they say, and that is a part of the translation. Um, under your seats and on your tables, there's one called the New International Version. The ones that we are buying for the uh, Life Recovery Group is called the New, Tran- New Living Translation. I forget which one it's called, New Translation. It's another version. Uh, there's a, when I study, I use the English Standard Version. I also use the Complete Jewish Bible. Those are not translated. It, it, when you're translating from another language, right, uh, sometimes they do it word for word. That's where you get weird sentences that don't quite translate into English because it's word for word. Sometimes they do it thought for thought. Here's the thought that's being translated when they translate it into English, and so they write out that thought. Sometimes they do it sentence for sentence. This long sentence, here's what they're trying to say, and here's what it means. So the King James Version is very different from the original Hebrew and Greek because it's a different language. It's not going to be exactly, but to the extent possible, they're translated either word for word or thought for thought, and when there are things that they couldn't find correctly, you'll find a little note in your Bible that says, we're not sure what this word means, or this could be translated this way, or this word has multiple meanings because they're trying to communicate the truth of how they translated it, right? So, um, And the other question they ask is, there were 50-plus Gospels, not four. There's actually way more than 50. If you pull out your phone and Google it, if you want to, you'll you'll find way more than 50 Gospels. Now, here's what we need to understand. The word gospel, used in the Bible, and used during Jesus' day, is the Greek word, I'm going to butcher this, euangelion, or euangelion, which means good tidings or good news. That, that's what the gospel means. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're often referred to as the gospels because they're the good tidings or the good news of what the, about the life of Jesus Christ, right? Now, that word wasn't specifically used in the biblical context. It was in use way before anything in the Bible was written because, and I said this when we started the gospel of Mark, Normally a king was the only one who would have one of his heralds use that phrase. So someone would show up in a town, they would open a scroll and say, hear ye, hear ye, the gospel of King Herod, the gospel of the almighty Emperor Caesar, the gospel of this king or that king or so and so. That was the only time it was used. But then Mark, when he started his book, he starts it with the gospel of Jesus Christ because he doesn't want to tell you about some earthly king. He wants to tell you about the good news of the eternal King Jesus Christ. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are referred to as gospels because they were books that God chose to include in his word. Now there are many other gospels, right? There's the gospel of Joseph the carpenter, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, I think that's Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Judas, Philip, the Gospel of the Egyptians, Nazarenes, Hebrews, on and on. There's one that's more Catholic called the Gospel of the Perfection. There's a bunch of different Gospels. It would be the equivalent of saying, hey, uh, just like we call it the book of James, the book of uh, 1st Ephesians, the book Book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but there are lots of other books called books. Why aren't they in the Bible? Here's why they're not. They are not inspired by God. Plenty of other gospels written, way more than I have up on the screen. And in fact, Thomas was an apostle, but his gospel wasn't inspired by God to be included in his word. It may be true, it may be historically accurate, but it wasn't something that God wanted in his word. Philip was an apostle. Even though he wrote a gospel, or in some cases, other people wrote these gospels about them, it wasn't something that God wanted included in His word. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, multiple letters Ephesians, uh, Philippians, first and Second Corinthians, first, Second Timothy, all these books written by Paul. Paul also wrote a bunch of other letters that are not in the word of God, because God didn't want them included in His word. So just because something is called a gospel doesn't mean it was divinely inspired by God to be included in his word. Does that make sense to everyone? Are we all uh, Now, we don't all have to agree, right? But we're not God, so we don't get to determine what goes in God's word. God does. So before I move on, any other questions from anyone in the room? Any questions? No? Okay. All right. Uh, This next one is probably not as common, but I do get it a lot. So I thought, why not include it? Plus it ties into the resurrection. You know, we just had Easter, so I thought it'd be appropriate. Uh, What about the trial of Jesus made it illegal? Wasn't he tried in a court of his peers, just like people are today? First and foremost, the court system we have today was nothing like the Judean court system. Theirs was 100% religious base based on the word of God, and I say that, and then 100% also based on their traditions and their customs that they thought revolved around the word of God, right? So the first thing, uh, that trial was illegal because any capital offense, a capital offense meaning someone's going to lose their life, like you could die for this, any capital offense, uh, legal proceedings could not take place at night. That doesn't make sense to us. Anyone remember that show Night Court? Okay, me and one other person used to watch that show regularly, but it's funny. I think there's a remake starring one of the ladies from Big Bang and John Larricourt's still in it, but uh, they have courts where, especially in big cities, you know, if someone gets arrested here, there's not a judge sitting at the Jefferson Hills Borough Building waiting to like, do anything with them. It's like, come back in the morning. You get arrested in New York City at 9 p.m., there's a night judge who's ready to like, okay, here's what's going to happen and, and do the whole proceedings. According to the Jewish system, especially with a capital offense, like this is a trial where you will lose your life if found guilty. It could not happen at night. The trial of Jesus started with his arrest in the garden in the evening and went a trial went throughout the evening and then he was brought to like uh, Pontius Pilate to be sentenced. So, That was illegal, number one. Number two, a capital offense legal proceeding couldn't render a judgment the same day as the trial. There was a Jewish, uh, I don't wanna say commandment, but Jewish legal thing that said, if someone is going to be judged and they might lose their life, that judgment had to be held into the next day. And I think, and I'm not quoting this, it even said, if the judgment is rushed the same day it might not be a legitimate judgment, right? But here's what happened to Jesus. And we know this because we just walked through uh, the whole Easter thing. It said, then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? This is when he was on trial. What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man, referring to himself, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, referring to God the Father, and coming on the clouds of heaven. And they judged him for that. The high priest's is closed. Why do we need any more witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they condemned him to death right there on the spot. Now, here's the other thing. He was condemned and sentenced to death because of blasphemy, But the other illegal thing was the charges were changed from blasphemy to treason. So imagine if you get caught speeding, right? Down 51, as all of us God-honoring, Holy Spirit-filled people do, down 51. But you get caught speeding and they pull you in and instead of giving you a ticket because you're going so far over it, they bring you into the courthouse but they don't bring you to the Jefferson Hills Courthouse. They bring you to the Allegheny County Courthouse. And instead of charging you with speeding, they charge you with manslaughter. And you're like, what in the ham sandwich just happened? I didn't hit anybody. I pulled over when he asked me to. They handcuffed me. They brought me in. That's exactly what they did to Jesus. He was charged with blasphemy, but he was killed for treason. Uh, And if we look in um, Mark, this is what it says. Again, we just read this verse. You've heard the blasphemy, which is what he was charged with. What do you think? They condemned him to death for blasphemy. If you look in the Gospel of John, it says they took him from Caiaphas, the high priest, to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, because they did the trial in the night when they weren't supposed to, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they didn't enter palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. But in Luke, it says this, it adds even more context. The whole assembly rose, they led him to Pilate. They began to accuse him saying, we have found this man subverting our nation, which is another way of saying treason. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and he claims to be Messiah, a king. So they accused him and condemned him for treason and took him to Pontius Pilate and said, hey, he's guilty of trying to take over the nation. Of treason, of something totally different, which according to Jewish law you can only be charged, or you can only be um, suffer punishment for what you're charged. Uh, before we move on any more, any any other basic questions about anything gospel related or whatever. Okay, so um, I think because of the time, uh, I'm going to wind this down. And I think it would be appropriate, I'm gonna put these last verses up on the screen, because we keep talking about the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, we walk through the gospel of Mark. And I think it's important that from a biblical perspective, we understand what is the gospel, right? Uh, And so Paul writes to this church in Corinth, and he says, now, brothers and sisters, I wanna remind you of the gospel, that same word, euangelion, the good news that I preach to you for which you've received and on which you have taken a stand. And he says, which you've taken a stand because they were being persecuted. They were being harassed. They were getting like uh, uninvited on Facebook. They weren't invited to hang out. No one invited them to the picnics and everything because they believed in Jesus Christ as God. And some of them were wavering and be like, well, I want my friends more. I need this more. And some of them were like, hey, I don't care what they say, I know what God has done in my life. And so they took a stand and said, hey, you don't have to invite me, you don't have to be my friend, you can look at me funny when I'm in the grocery store, but I still believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so they took a stand, and he said, I want to remind you of that because some of them were wavering on it. And he says, and by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. And despite what anyone else has said, and this isn't me, despite what anyone else has told you, uh, you don't experience salvation and get to be a part of God's family and go to heaven because you're a good person. You don't experience salvation and be uh, a part of God's family because you attend every Sunday celebration. Sunday, you could have been sitting in a pew every Sunday uh, from age 10 to 110. That's not what does it. You don't get to be a part of the family of God and experience salvation because you give. You can write thousands of dollars or millions of dollars in checks. That's not going to get you into heaven. It would make me very happy. Not going to get you into heaven. Doesn't make you a part of the family of God. This is the gospel that does, if you believe this. And that is that what Paul says, what I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that basically means that whether we like it or not, from God's perspective, there was a thing that separated us from him. It's called sin. It's called transgressions. It's called just being human. If left to our own devices, we would all do bad things, wrong things, not nice things. And there are small sins that we look at, like people who lie. There are big sins, like people you know, who still, there are bigger sins like people who hurt other people or kill or murder. And God looks at that and says, none of that is the way that we should treat one another. And it causes a separation from his goodness and his righteousness and the penalty for those sins, whether we like it or not, according to God is death. And so what Paul says is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He paid the penalty for us and it was foretold according to the scriptures hundreds and in some cases, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand and then he said this that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. It's not just that there were hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand things saying that this was going to happen and then it happened. It was also uh, that he didn't just die, that he rose from the dead to prove it. And then he says this, and that he appeared to Cephas, the 12, appeared to more than 500, most of whom were still living, some had fallen asleep. It's not just that it was told beforehand. It's not just that it happened. It's also that there were eyewitnesses who say, yeah, didn't that dude die like I carried his casket? Here he is walking around surely this must be the Son of God. And when Mark and I were doing our Good Friday podcast, we are talking about the fact that even though there was so much evidence that this gospel is true, that Jesus died according to the scriptures, he rose from the dead according to the scriptures, and that many people saw him, and there's so much historical and biblical evidence to attest to that, there were two people who put their faith and trust in him as God, without any of that evidence, the first being the thief on the cross, who just looked at him and said, you know what? Remember me when you come into your kingdom, not an earthly kingdom, because he knew that he was going to die just like he was, but your heavenly kingdom. So he believed that he was God. And then the centurion Who stood there and saw the evidence, saw the blood and water streaming out of him, saw him crucified, saw the earthquakes, saw all these things, and said, surely this is the Son of God. This is the gospel that we take a stand on. This is what the church believes. That gospel is what changes lives. That gospel is what helps people restore families. That gospel is what helps break people out of addictions and strongholds. And that's the gospel that we believe. So I'm gonna ask you guys to stand and we're gonna close with a prayer. God, we're so grateful for your word, for the gospel that does provide truth and that changes lives. We're so grateful that you loved us enough that you sent your son to die upon the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. We're so grateful that you don't ask anything from us except that we be willing to do what your word says and take a stand and tell people this is what we believe. And we pray that when we do that, we do it respectfully, that we don't pe- beat people over the head, of the, over, over the head with the Bible, that we don't force our views on other people, but that we are willing to tell people that there is a God who loves them and sent his son to die for them. God, we thank you so much for everyone that is gathered here. We pray that you would bless us as we go, and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen. Amen, amen, amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com, or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 10.37 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you, and God bless.